We are in the middle of this series, and we're studying the book of Philippians. We call it a book, but it's actually a letter. It's a letter written by a guy named Paul uh, to a church uh, early on in the church existence. They just kind of got rolling. And so he's writing this letter to encourage them. And one of the things that we kind of started with this series talking about is the idea of ideas themselves. Everything that you see, everything that you do, everything that you experience started with somebody's idea. It was somebody's idea, and then people bought into that idea, and then culturally it's become a part of our idea. I mean, the clothes we wear, the things we do, every invention starts as an idea, and ideas are powerful. Ideas make up who we are. Ideas guide our lives. There are things that you did this morning to get here that started as someone's idea. And so one of the things that we have to understand is when it comes to ideas, it's our belief in those ideas and our dedication to those ideas that give them traction. Now, the Bible is full of ideas. The Bible is not a book. It is a collection of books and letters written by certain men and possibly women to different groups of people at different times. And sometimes it's poetry, sometimes it's history, sometimes it's in this, it's actually a letter written to a specific target audience. And in the Bible, what we see is it's full of ideas of what is possible, what could be possible if humans lived up to their full potential. Paul is writing in this letter a bunch of ideas that we've been talking about. Ideas that could be possible not only for that church, but also possible for us as individuals today. And so he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to remind the people of what could be. And so what's interesting is these thousands of years ago, these ideas still resonate with us today. In fact, everything we've talked about so far up until this week has been kind of like these ideas that we still maybe struggle with or have to work through even in the church today. Now, today I'm gonna present you with two ideas and, and Paul's going to do this in chapter 3, and I hope you've taken time to read it. And he's going to kind of break from where we've been. And so he, in his letters, he, he's a lot of encouragement up front, a lot of things. And now he's going to break, and he's going to give us a warning. And specifically to this church, a warning, but also, I think, a warning to us. And, and so to start with, before we get into what the actual warning is, I want to set it up by talking about religion. Okay? Now, a lot of us um, in this room... Uh, maybe you consider yourself religious. For a lot of us, when we think of religion, uh, maybe it's a positive thing. But for a lot of people, when they think about religion, it's actually a very negative thing. It comes with a lot of negative connotation, a lot of negative ideas. In fact, as churches oftentimes, especially here, we try to strive away from the word religion. Uh, we think it's about relationship, and we use all the colorful language to try to make you believe that it's not a religious thing. But it is, okay? And so, um, but, but what part of it is when we think about religion, a lot of religion always tends to transition towards certain things. One of those things is often behavioral conformity, that if you want to be a part of our religious idea, you have to have some type of behavior modification. You have to align yourself with a certain type of ideas, a certain type of behavior. There's things you can do. There's things you can't do. For a lot of us, religion becomes a list of those things. You can do this. You can't do that. Uh, We look for those lists. Uh, We look for those ideas. And that's a struggle for a lot of people is because we're different and we see the world differently and we have different experiences and all of these things. And so when it's like this idea for us all to conform to one thing, it could be a negative experience for a lot of people. The other thing is, let's be honest, religion, and let's talk about church. It can be kind of a spectacle, can't it? It can be like a show, right? I mean, like some of the stuff that we do, the things that we say, I mean, there's a lot. If you're an outsider looking in, it can be really confusing, right? 
You know, there's a lot that goes on. You have to set here. I mean, if you grew up Catholic, you set, stand, set, stand. You got to say these things. I'm not knocking it. It's just part of the kind of the spectacle of what happens. You have to dress a certain way. They have to wear certain things. Here, we, we kind of get away from that. You know, I've gone the opposite end. I don't ever dress up ever, even if my wife begs me to, you know. And so, you know, it, it's that type of thing. Um, part of it is, you know, like, like this, um, we don't do this, but maybe you've been a part of churches that, you know, they have like smoke and lights and all these things. We just don't have the budget for it. That's why we don't do it. Um, but, you know, it, that's, that's part of it, you know, but you've been to those churches and there's nothing against those churches. There's big auditoriums and high ceilings, which I'm so jealous of, and smoke and lights and all these things and big stages. And, but, but be honest with you, that can be, kind of become like a spectacle. It can even to some people kind of feel like a show. And so there's some you know, negativity with that when it comes to religion. And, and a bigger part, I think, for religion for a lot of us is that when it comes to religion, the idea is that if we fit this mold, if we do these things, then we fit in. But if we don't, then there's the fear that we're not going to fit in. In fact, some of you, when the first time you came to Journey, the, the only non-first-timer was me. And I, I mean, I guess it was a first-timer the first time, but, but almost everybody that's ever come over the years and first service, second service, when we had three services, four services, didn't matter. Everybody was a first-timer. And whenever you walk into an environment for the first time, let's be honest, it's scary. Because you don't know what to expect. You, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, even now, like we've already done a baptism. Some of you are like, well, what is that? We're going to do communion later. Um, one of the things that's fascinating about communion, this is true. Uh, you can read some of the early writings about the early church. And the pagans, the bad people, the pagans thought we were vampires because we talked about eating flesh and drinking blood, right? I mean, it's a little weird, right? Baptism is we take some, I mean, we give them, you know, it's not a bath, but we kind of give them a bath in church uh, with mostly warm water. We tell them that they're dying. You should not tell people they're dying when you put them underwater, right? Isn't that typically like not what you would avoid? You're dying, you're being brought back to life. And there's reasons we do it. There's reasons we use that language, you know, but for an outsider, it can seem kind of weird, in fact, let me ask you this. Have you ever been a part of something that you were like, you just did it because it's what people do. It's what people experience. It's part of what you do and you don't want to go against the system. But then you walk away from that and you're like, that was kind of weird, right? Okay. And, and so that's part of religion. And depending on what religion you grew up with, whether it was Christianity or maybe a different religious connotation, there's some stuff that let's be honest, it's a little weird that we do it. And that can be an obstacle for people. But I think the, the bigger problem sometimes with religion is it's not just that it's weird. Let's be honest. Sometimes it's hurtful and it's harmful. And there have been people that have made, been made to feel like they can't connect to God. They can't connect to Jesus. They've been made to feel like they don't fit in because of certain things or ideas that they don't align themselves with, or different things that they're not willing to do. And let's be honest, some of it has been very hurtful to people and harmful to people. And, and, and so sometimes it leads people down the wrong path. In fact, one of the scary things about religion is you can be really religious and really invested in something only to find out later in life it was wrong. And now not only have you hurt yourself, but think about all of the people that you've heard along the way. I had a meeting this week with a pastor, this is my sermon, but a pastor in our community. And we're sitting there and we're talking and he's like, man, I grew up with all of this stuff. 
and I was raised in this type of church. And he's like, now that I'm reading and now that I'm pastor, and he, he was like honest with me. He was like, I don't see things the same way and I don't know what to do. I'm scared. And I was like, well, just be like me. Just say whatever you want and people still keep coming, you know, just say it, you know. I doubt he'll take that advice, but so Paul has to address this because this is going on in their church. It goes on in our churches. And the problem with religion, in my opinion, is it's when men, it's almost always men, use texts and words and sacred texts and ideas to gain power and control over people. That's what it comes down to. And you have groups of men, typically men, that want that power. And so they'll do things, they'll say things to keep that power. Now, this happens kind of in in this Philippian church. And so to understand kind of what's going on is Paul is going to warn about something that's creeping in. That I'll be honest with you. If you're under the age of 14, you're going to have some questions. And parents, I just apologize now, but it's in the Bible. So just know that before I say this, okay? So this thing is creeping in. And so it takes place in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, and it says this. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. So whatever comes next, Paul is telling them because he's realizing that there's this, go back, sorry, that there's this religious stuff that's creeping in to kind of this thing that Jesus is starting. And here's what he says. Watch out for those dogs. Now, you don't know this, but to call somebody a dog in biblical times, I mean, he just basically cussed. Right? And it's in the Bible, so that's kind of cool. So watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Now, there's this weird thing that keeps happening in the New Testament, if you haven't picked up on it, if you've followed any of the writings of Paul or Peter. Um, circumcision keeps coming up, which is a weird thing to keep talking about, right? But there's a reason. So here's why their reason is, and again, I told you, this is in the Bible, so just know it. So Paul keeps running into this issue, and here's the issue. Paul will go into an area, and he will, he will start a church, and it will be a good church, and things will get going. And then he leaves after he gets local leadership to kind of step up and start running the church to some degree, and he leaves. And what happens is when he leaves, the wolves kind of start to come in. And so you have Gnosticism, you have all these different ideas of Gnosticism, which if you don't know what that is, you should study some of it. And and you have all these things that kind of creep in. But one of the groups that keeps creeping in that we've talked about actually back in the fall is these group called the Judaizers. The Judaizers are Jewish sympathizers. And so what they mean, that means is they're Jewish people, but they also want to be Christians. But because they had to grow up with all the Jewish traditions, they think all of the Christians should also have those things. Essentially, here's what they're saying. My experience was really rough. Yours should be too. That's what they're saying. Everybody religious like that? Okay. So what they're saying is, is that, you know, Paul's okay and his message is good, but you don't have the whole message because Jesus was Jewish and we're Jewish Christians now. And so basically you need to be able to do everything that it requires to be Jewish in order to be a Christian. One of the things that you have to do in order to be Jewish as a man is you have to be circumcised. Now, imagine the tension in this moment. Jim, we're so glad you're a part of the church. Welcome. But before you can join the church, we need to take you in this back room just for a minute. Right? I mean, this is what's happened. We joke about it, but this is what's going on. They're saying in order for you to have a relationship with Jesus, you've got to do this. Listen, it is hard enough for me to get grown men to be baptized 
Imagine having to have this conversation, right? (laughs) And so there's a lot of tension. And Paul's fed up with it. Because what happens a lot of times in religion is we put obstacles, oftentimes unnecessarily, between people and Jesus, between people and God. And so this is what's going on. And so Paul, he, he's done with it. And in fact, what's crazy is, is cover your ears, kids. Um, Paul, earlier in Galatians, he's dealing with the same issue in the Galatian church. And he, he writes this letter. It's in the Bible. And he goes, you know what? If they're so consumed with circumcises, I just wish they'd cut the whole thing off. It's in the Bible. Again, right? Ebal Paul, if you can. So Jesus is having a meal one day with some religious leaders. This is, this is like not a new thing. This is not a new thing, like people trying to over-religiousize things that actually aren't that complicated. So Jesus is having a meal one day with religious leaders in Luke chapter 11. And, and so what happens is they have all these complicated hand washings because for them, they want to make sure they're completely clean, okay? And, and so they're really concerned with cleanliness, which is good. And it's not like Jesus isn't washing his hands. He's washing his hands. He's just not going through the full gamut of unnecessary things that they've put in place, And so he's washing his hands. And at one point, one of the religious leaders notices that Jesus isn't doing all of the rituals. And so he calls Jesus out for it, which is not a good idea. And in Luke chapter 11, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but you should read this. Jesus looks at him and he says, it's religious leaders like you. You clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is filled with greed and evil. And here's what he's saying, because this is the danger of religion. We make sure that the outside looks really good, but we never do anything about the inside. And, and so it's like this thing he's teaching him. He's like, you guys, you, you want everybody to see you in a certain way or a certain light. So you're real concentrated on, hey, we're going to do all of this stuff so that people see us being religious, that people see us being holy. He talks about like this idea, like you give away a part of your income, but you give it to like the temple. And the problem is these are the guys that have access to the money that they're giving to the temple. So it's like you're giving it, but you're not really giving it. And then Jesus says, you know, for you, it's like everything is about being seen as important. You want to be looked up to. You want to be respected. You want the best seats where everyone can see you. Because with these people, it's all about how you look to other people. I'm so glad we've grown past that, right? And he says to them, and this is, this is an insult that you're not going to get, but this cuts to the core of these people. He says, you're like unmarked graves, which people walk over without even knowing. Essentially, Jesus looks at the leading religious leaders of his days and says, you're spiritually dead, you're far from God, you have no influence, and you don't even realize it. And one of the leaders, you know, they, he was a religious teacher. So it'd be like a preacher, kind of like what I do. And he looks at Jesus and he's like, well, Jesus, like what you just said is really offensive. Like that, that was hard for us to hear. And, 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 and Jesus looks at him and he says, well, teachers like you, says, teachers like you, you, you tell people to do all this stuff, but you're not helping them. And he talks about like, you end up like just heaping all of this guilt on people. Isn't guilt a powerful tool? And you end up making people feel guilty. They feel bad about themselves. And he says, you'll go as far as it can for people to see you in a single convert, but then you make them twice the sons of hell 
that you are. Jesus calls the leading religious authorities of his days the sons of hell, which obviously upsets them and disturbs them. But he's got a point. He says these people, they've abused their positions of religious authority, and you're actually getting in the way of people who are honestly searching for God. This is not a unique experience in the ministry of Jesus. He has several experiences like this where these religious leaders, you know, it's like this interesting thing. What's fascinating about Jesus is for people that are like really trying to figure it out and come from the deepest and darkest hurts that come in life, like he has all the patience and understanding with them that's possible. But to people who claim to know and speak for God but have cold hearts and abuse the power and authority they've been given, I mean, he has no time for them. He's relentless. And Jesus had no time for this, and neither does Paul. And so Paul's like, listen, these, these people, these dogs that are coming in here, and they're teaching this stuff. They're teaching that there's these things that you have to do in order to be connected to Jesus, which isn't true at all. He's got no time for it. So, so Paul's going like, to turn the exact opposite way. He's going to prove a point. And so here's what he says. He says, we rely, speaking of Christians, on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Now think about this. This is a loaded sentence. We put no confidence in human effort. Let me just ask you, and just be honest with yourself. How much of your experience in following Jesus right now has been human effort? If you're honest, you'd probably say the majority of it, right? Human effort is I got to get to church every week, which you should. You should be at church. It's great, okay? Human effort is I got to give this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And, and the goal is if I do enough things the right way, the right people see them, then through my human effort, I'm good. Let me ask you a question. Why do you do what you do? Like, why are you here? Right? And I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk when I say it, but like, why are you here? There's this passage in the Bible where God is speaking to some extremely like religious people and they've been coming to the temple and going through all the right ceremonies. Um, But the problem is they've been neglecting all of the needs of the people around them. And so God speaks to them and here's what he says. He says, you know, your sacrifices and your offerings. He says, what is that to me? I don't like pleasure in any of this. In fact, he goes on to say that he, he hates it. What we see is there's this trend in the Old Testament. If you, if you read it, it's almost like God can't stand when we put on a religious show, and yet we ignore the poor and the broken and the marginalized and the oppressed around us. Isn't that interesting? In fact, God goes as far as to call some of their gatherings in the Old Testament evil. Gatherings they did for him, but he calls them evil. And it's like God says, like, it's like you've become a burden to me. Because you're doing all of these things, but your heart is far from me. My wife's a guidance counselor at a school, and uh, these last couple years have just been rough. And if you've emailed teachers or counselors or administrators negative things, just you're a bad person. So it's just been hard. <laughs> it just has. It has been hard on everybody. And we have so many teachers and all that that come here. And, and so, so imagine like my wife one day, like I know she's had a bad day. And so, like, I get her flowers. So I'm going to get her flowers, and I'm going to bring her flowers home. And, and I take them home, and I give them to her, and she's like, you know, oh, that was so sweet. I'm so glad that you thought of me. Like, what if my response was like, well, I'm supposed to, right? I'm your husband. Like, I'm just supposed to do it. 
had a bad day, so I got to get you flowers. Or, or imagine if my response when, when she said that was like, well, I mean, it wasn't really like that big of a deal. Like they were on clearance anyway. They were next to the register, you know, like uh, they were cheap, you know, or like what if I said like, well, actually what really happened is there was this guy that I know from church and he got his wife flowers. And so I feel like I should get you flowers because I don't want to, you know, look like the guy that doesn't get his wife flowers. Like if my attitude is that, let me ask you, does she even still want the flowers? No. And so if our approach to God is, well, I'm just doing it because I'm supposed to, or I'm just doing it because it really really isn't that big of a deal to give up an hour on Sunday. I mean, this isn't that big of an ask. Or I'm just doing it because they're doing it, and I feel like if they're doing it, it makes me look bad if I don't do it. So why do you do what you do? It's like God wants our hearts because if God has our hearts, then we'll start to care about the things that God cares about. I mean, the reality is, is you can go to mass or services or prayers, or Bible studies. You can do all that stuff. You can sing all the right songs and recite all the right prayers and be here every time the building's open. But if you're just going through the motions, like what's the point? God says in the book of Isaiah, he says that they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so why do you do what you do? Let me ask you, are you here just to keep others happy? I know it exists, right? You're just here because them, don't elbow them. You're just here because they want you to be here and you know that you being here keeps them happy. Or you're here because you just don't want to feel guilty anymore. Or you're here because you believe if you make the right appearance at the right place at the right time, wearing the right clothes and being seen by the right people, So why do we do this? Now, Paul says he's going to set up this issue. He's going to say, okay, so we have no confidence in human efforts because human efforts, we, we can just go on. And the other problem with human effort is, is this. Do you, do you know the real problem with human effort and religion is it causes a lot of anxiety because you never know where you stand. It causes a lot of fear because you're not sure if you've done enough. But then the other thing it does is it makes us judge each other, right? Because I want to feel good about me. So what I need to do is put you down. I don't want to feel good about my effort, and I realize my effort's not that great, but at least I'm not them, right? And so it causes all of these issues. And so Paul says, we put no confidence in human effort. Now listen to what he says. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. If others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And here's what he says, but if anyone, and here's what he's saying. He's not being like cocky. He's not being arrogant. Like if you understand what Paul has done, not only from his Jewish background, but also once he's become a Christian. Listen to what he says. I was circumcised when I was eight days old, which is like the appropriate time. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. Now, that line is loaded. We don't get it as Gentiles, but that line is loaded, all right? I was a member of the Pharisees, who are the same people that Jesus called the whitewashed tombs, who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. And this is just his Jewish background. So think about what Paul did after he becomes a follower of Jesus. Okay, everybody in this room, we owe a debt of gratitude to Paul. Because we are almost all, I'm assuming, all Gentiles. None of us are Jewish by, by, by birth, right? So we're all Gentiles. 
Paul was the only apostle that's actually focusing on the Gentiles. Everybody else focusing on the Jewish people. And so we know a great deal because let's be honest, he goes out and the missionary efforts that he does up into Europe and into Asia and these different parts, these, it's us, it's the Anglo-Saxons that he's reaching, okay? The white people. And so we owe a great deal to Paul. So if anybody has any reason to brag, it's Paul. If anybody has any confidence in their religious background and can gloat about their religious background, it's Paul. But listen to what he says. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. You ever had anything you thought was really valuable? I taught Sunday school for 25 years, I was a deacon. I got a master's degree in divinity. I got this. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now hold on to that line because we're going to come back to it. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Now let's go back to eight. Let's leave it up there for a second. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can I ask you an awkward question that I have to ask myself all the time? Do I actually know Jesus? Here's my fear, is that we would become a church and we would become people that teach Jesus but don't model Jesus. We've had experiences with Jesus, but we've never actually experienced Jesus. We've had awkward encounters with Jesus, but we have actually never known him. I'll tell you a really weird story. I don't know why I'm telling you. I told first service, it's not even in my notes, and I probably shouldn't tell you because it's dumb. But I'm going to tell you anyway because that's what I get to do. And so when I was like 12 years, 13 years old, my, uh, one of my best friends, his mom's a CPA. And one of her clients at the time was a guy named Fuzzy Zeller. He's a golfer, pro golfer at the time. And so he's this famous golfer. He's got a, a golf course up in Indiana called Covered Bridge, and it's his golf course. And so he's doing this pro-am tournament. So pro-am is where he's got pros, but he's also got like amateurs and celebrities. And so my, my buddy's mom, she's a CPA, so she gives him two, he, he gives her two VIP passes to this golf tournament, Okay. I'm 13, my friend is 12, she gives us the VIP passes, takes us to the event, drops us off, and leaves, because that's a good idea. And so we have 13 and a 12-year-old boy who have VIP passes. What we didn't know, we found out soon, these VIP passes aren't just like VIP passes, like you get to stand closer to, these were unlimited access to everything, all right, seriously, so we walk into this tent because I got to find a bathroom. I walk into this tent and this is, I, I don't know how old I was, but I was 13. So you do the math. And so, uh, so that had have been 1996. And so when UK still could play basketball. And so, uh, sorry, I'm a Kentucky fan. I'm talking about my team. So I'm 1996. And so we, we go into this tent. I'm not making this up. Do you know who's sitting there making a sandwich in the tent? A little guy named Kevin Costner, right? True story. 
So we're like, oh, this is a big deal. Like, we're, we're celebrities now. So we're there. Like, Kevin Costner was there. John Michael Montgomery was there. Uh, there were several country music artists that were there. And then there were some other actors that were there. But the big golfers that were there was a guy named Chichi Rodriguez was there. He was real popular at the time. There was a guy named John Daly. You guys know John Daly. Uh, and then the biggest golfer there at the time was Arnold Palmer. So they're there, and there's several other people there. So we're like seeing these guys, like we're in a tent with these guys. Okay, so the end of the tournament goes and we're like talking to people. I got a hat, I mean, I got all their signatures on it. And so the end of the thing goes and we gotta go to the clubhouse and I gotta go to the bathroom and we get drinks and stuff up there. True story, I saw Arnold Palmer getting a drink. It was just a lemonade, no tea. So I was a little disappointed, but uh, some of you will get that joke later. And so, uh, so I go in the bathroom and it's like the clubhouse, like the nice clubhouse bathroom. And Chi Chi Rodriguez is right there. And I recognize him because he's got this golf thing where he does this little, like, you know, sword thing. And so I know who he is. And so I'm 13. So he's at the urinal peeing. And uh, I go up, I'm 13, I just tap him on the shoulder. Like, hey, can I get your autograph? And he was kind, and he's like, just a minute, son. So he, like, gets up there with, to take care of business, and he gives me his, his, his autograph, and then I end up running into a couple other people and getting their autographs in the thing. Now, I tell you that story, and it's a dumb story, but here's the point. I had an encounter with Chichi Rodriguez, an awkward one at that, and we actually talked for a few minutes. But I would be an idiot to tell you that I know Chi Rodriguez, right? I mean, that would just be stupid for me to be like, oh yeah, we had this weird thing and then he signed my hat and then he helped me find where the sandwiches were. Like that would be like, but here's, here's, my, here's my thing. I think a lot of us have had awkward experiences with Jesus, but we say we know him. Does that make sense? Like we, we had these encounters where we, it was weird and it was kind of like uncomfortable, but this guy said we should do this or these people said we should do this and all of a sudden now we feel like we know Jesus. And, and what's fascinating is Paul is so convicted to say like, listen, everything else I count as a loss in comparison to actually knowing Jesus. And for us as Christians, the question is, do we actually know him? And the reason I think this is so important when it comes to the idea of religion versus Jesus is this. Um, my experiences have been that people will let you down. The worst things that have ever been said to me have been said to me by Christians. The people that have talked about me behind my back the most have been Christians. The other thing is, is that I'm a realist, and so I know I will let myself down. I mean, I've done things this week already that are just like, what were you thinking? And I hate to tell you this, and I don't want to tell you this, but it's just reality. Give it enough time, I'll let you down. I love what Paul said last week about confidence and kind of like leaders is, is because, listen, I'm going to let you down at some point. I'm going to say something you don't like. I probably already have in the sermon. Like, I'm going to say something you don't like. You're going to email me and I don't get back to you in time. I'm not available when you need me to be. You're going to bring somebody to church one week and I'm going to give a terrible sermon or something's going to happen and I'm going to let you down. What's scary to me, if you've been paying attention, is the amount of religious leaders that have had huge moral failures over the last couple of years. In fact, one broke this week. And all of the people that lie in wake behind it. And it's sad. And a lot of those people, they give up on Jesus because they really had the confidence in the person and not who he was. 
Leaders will let you down. This church may let you down. I hate it. And ultimately, religion will probably let you down. But do you know what I can say with a little bit of confidence? So far, this point in my life, Jesus has never let me down. And I get that he's not like here and he's somewhere else and he's invisible and all of the weird things. Told you, it gets weird when it comes to religion, but he hasn't. I think this is what Paul is tapping into. The things, the performance, the conformity, the list, the religiosity, all of the things that he thought were once important pale in comparison to actually knowing Jesus. Because he knows of all of the things that will let him down, Jesus won't. So is is being a Christian... Is it like coming to a building once a week for an hour? Is that what it is? Or is the church supposed to be about people whose hearts are beating more and more like God's because they know him and they get him? And maybe from an outsider's perspective, you hear all this and and you're turned off by judgmental attitudes and narrow minds and meaningless rules. But so am I and so is God. And God doesn't want anything to do with that either. I mean, let's be honest. A lot of people confuse religion and Jesus and end up walking away from both of them. The point isn't Christianity. The point is getting to know Jesus. It's about being connected with him and everything that's good and right and true. And Paul understands this. And so he's like, all of these guys are going to kind of creep in, these dogs, these evildoers, these ideas and these thoughts, and they're going to try to creep in. But don't give it up. Don't get confused. It's about knowing Jesus. And I want that for me, and I want that for you. Let's pray.